0: Good afternoon. It is Friday, and let's see, what are we? September something. (laughs) I uh, I can't see my normal calendar. September 18th. There we go. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is a glorious day in Florida. It is Friday Night Lights, which uh, I I live for every week, which those of you who are not football moms, uh, you might not know that term but uh, excited uh, for the rain to hold off here in Florida until that game gets underway. We have a great show planned for you today, and we have a returning guest back by popular demand, Michelle Howe. Michelle, welcome back. Thank you. It's really nice to be here again. Yeah, it's been a long time. What what was the book we were talking about last time?
1: I think the last book was uh, Burden Lifters.
0: Oh, I written, yes.
1: yeah. I had written a book with my um, orthopedic surgeon called Burdens, Burdens Do a Body Good, which is kind of a health-related book, and then I did a follow-up about a year later.
0: Well, very cool. Well, for those of our uh, audience who don't know you and didn't hear you the first time around, why don't you give them the little snapshot of, of Michelle?
1: Well, I've been writing for about 30 years now. I started the year after my oldest daughter was born. I do a lot of book reviewing, and I write for a lot of the publications um, that are trade magazines in the publishing world, so I see a lot of changes all the time, and uh, the ups and the the downs of it all, it's really fascinating to me, but many years ago, in 1999, I started writing for single moms, not because I'm a single mom, but because two of my best friends became single moms through unwanted divorces and I started telling their story and I ended up writing five books for single moms just interviewing different women across the country and they would share with me what they did right what they did wrong and what they learned from their journey and that was kind of my writing mainstream for a long long time and then I kind of got into the health writing when I had some health challenges a few years ago, I ended up having six shoulder surgeries. None of them were successful. Oh I still God. have the same same problem I had when I first walked into my orthopedic surgeon's office. To no fault of his, it's just I've got a strange body that just undoes the good work that he did. And then after that, it um, came my new book, which is what we're going to talk about today, Empty Nest, What's Next? And as you can guess, I am in the empty nest season of life. <laughs> and I, And I found myself... Really undone at times, and it surprised me because I'm one of these women who really look ahead and thought, "Oh, I'll be fine, no problem." You know, I have four adult children, um, two grandchildren, and one almost here. So I was really uh, anticipating all the great things about not having any kids in the home, you know, 24 seven. But my book really takes a lot of different looks at what can happen once your
0: kids move out. Right, right, well, you know it's so funny that you talk about planning ahead because uh, I don't know if you remember, but you know even though I'm in my my late fifties, I have a fifteen year old and a seventeen year old and so uh she um the older one is a is my daughter, and she is a senior in high school and uh, beginning uh, to talk of, about college in a real serious way. And uh, her boyfriend just broke up with her. They had been uh, He had been her only boyfriend, and they had been dating for 15 months. And now all of a sudden, um, rather than going to college in Florida, uh, which she was going to do so that she would be relatively close to wherever he was going to school, uh, she now wants to go to the University of Warsaw in Poland. Oh my. <laughs> so, uh, a well, I well, fortunately I won't be an empty nester at that time. I'll still have my son who's a freshman in high school and we still have him around for a while. But, you know, I already do think about those days and I do have an adult daughter who uh, actually used to be our nanny and we we really adopted her into our family and so I do have two grandchildren and a son-in-law, and uh, but uh, very different dynamics uh, than, than parenting your own adult children. So I'm not sure. quite there on the empty nest, but, but I, I certainly do think about it. And uh, my husband is going to be 65 in, in um, January. So, um, you know, we're at an interesting stage of our life. So this call is super timely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things I love about your books is that you uh, – integrate your faith in with everything that you write and but not as you know in essence a christian book but just because it's who you are Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i do because and if anyone ends up going through this book as well as my other books i just know i can't make it on my own and i'm honest about it i mean there's so many problems that we face in our parenting journey that we're way beyond our skill and ability. And I would consider my husband and I pretty skilled. I mean, he's a high school math teacher, has been for 30 years, he's a coach. He he does really well with teens and young adults, and they love him. And I just love people. So, I mean, you figure you, with those two combinations, you would be able to parent without major drama happening. But we had some real tough years with one of our daughters, and, and tell her story because she allows me to, and it's part of who she is now. And she says, Mom, tell everybody what I did so they can avoid the mistakes I made. And in one of the chapters, I think I open it with um, sitting on, my, on the counter in my kitchen in the middle of the night and not thinking I'm never going to see my daughter again, thinking she's dead. Because she had been out clubbing and partying and doing everything you don't want your kids to do in a really dangerous way for several years, unbeknownst to us, until we got a phone call one day from a police officer who said she was uh, arrested for drunk driving, which no one wants anyone to do. Right. So that became the spiral, and she was really, um, didn't stop right away. I mean, we enforced rules. We did all the tough love. We did everything you read about in all the good manuals on parenting. And it just was not stopping. And I remember just getting on my knees and just saying, Lord, if you don't help us, show us what to do, we're going to lose her. Just like a lot of parents that do lose their kids to drugs, right. to alcohol, to whatever. But that night, I sat there, and she was missing, and we did not know where she was. Her phone, she wasn't answering. We had no idea. And I sat and I thought, I would not be surprised if we get a call in the morning saying that she had died. And I, I remember looking out into the fields, there was dim, but I could still see out there thinking, how will I get up in the morning and take a breath? How am I going to make it through the night? And that is when my faith kicked in because I just felt, I felt that God was with me. I felt like, I felt like no, no matter what kind of news we were going to get, that he was going to give me the grace to get through it. No, it was going to be hideous and horrible and hard, but we'd make it. Right. Well, we ended up getting through that night, and it wasn't until 3 or 4 the next day when another police officer was in our home hunting for our daughter. And he looked at me, and he, he I had been crying, of course, and he was a young guy, but boy, he was wise beyond his years. And he said to me, you know, I see parents like you all the time who really care about your kids, and they've really done the best they, they can, and yet their kids go crazy and break the law and don't listen. And he looked at me and he said, we'll find her. But he said, you know what? You don't have to let her live here anymore under your roof and watch her do this. And, you know, that triggered a completely different chain of events for my husband and I. And she did end up coming home later that day. And she was belligerent as all get out. And we ended up writing a contract for her. And if she broke it, she was out within two weeks. And that was the turning point for some reason. Wow. She realized her real friends weren't real friends, and nobody was going to take her in. And she was at the bottom. And uh, it was a slow, slow journey back up. But after about two years of many, many, many small daily choices that were good choices, her life healed. And she's a completely different person today. And, uh, yeah, so my faith is all there because I need it.
0: Well, what a powerful story. What a powerful story. Yeah, I mean, I I think about so many things that have happened in my life, and and fortunately I haven't had to go down that path as a parent. But I I was her, right, when I was younger and and, uh, should have gotten brought home by the police on a number Mm -hmm. of occasions and and was, you know, through God's grace, was not – um but but anyway I, you know i mean i just look even at business pressures and you know i'm an entrepreneur and you know constantly starting companies and and uh, i don't know how people get through uh, without faith so uh, having said that i i don't think i even said the name of your book so we, i guess i need to start with that so the book is called empty nest what's next parenting adult children without losing your mind so uh having said that um you know, I, I know you wrote this book for people who are going through something similar and that and you share this information through blogging and, and different things. So so did your publisher say, hey, Michelle, what's the next book? Or did you take this idea to them? How did this emerge? I took
1: the idea to them because I started, you know, like I said a, a few minutes ago, I started kind of looking ahead and I was, I remember Five years ago now, my husband and I took our youngest child, it was a boy, to college. And he only lived 45 minutes from us, so it's not far to you of them. And I cried all the way home. And this is the odd thing. I already had two daughters who so had moved out and married. And I didn't cry when they left. And I, so I thought, So I thought, and we're all close, but I think I was so happy for them. I was so happy for them and loved my son-in-law. And I just was excited for them. I didn't see it as a thing. So surprised to me that the trigger would be my son leaving. It was just so odd. And I think what happened was all of a sudden our house got really quiet. And there wasn't four kids running around or three or two. It was just me and my husband and my daughter, one daughter part-time. And I, I realized my what I put the bulk of my energy and love into for the last 25 years was over. And I think seeing him leave really signified that to me. So I started talking to a lot of other women in fact a lot of women came to me because they're all about my age or maybe a little older just undone by their kids moving out and not because they're unhappy that they're moving out but because their identity is just well and they're like right. "Who am I now and these are women who work and some women who are work from home they're not just idle but it was just seemed like the emotional um, the emotions that we give to our kids, the investment there is so deep and so rich for so long, and when they leave, something does sever, and it changes, right. and I think that's hard for women at times to even go there. They just kind of want to deny it's ever going to really happen.
0: Right, but you, you know, some people have told me, because um, I've I've been saying lately that, uh you know, everyone said raising a daughter was going to be so hard because you know they go through those dark years of of uh, not liking you and and you know rebelling and and uh, and I have never had a day of that with my daughter. She's been amazing. Mm-hmm. But they said, you know what? It's going to be even harder for you than when she leaves because in some ways it's that tension that can emerge during the teen years that makes it easier to say, okay, go. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to have that time. And so, uh, you know, I think that uh, it's very interesting to look at that because your story about going, you know, taking your son, my parents um, drove me to uh, from Milwaukee to Oklahoma. I went to Oral Roberts University for a short period of time. And uh, I remember being so shocked when my mother told me that she cried all the way home. And I mean, that was like days of driving. And I'm the youngest of three. Um, so, you know, perhaps she was going through some of those things that you're going to talk about here today. But I wasn't the closest to her. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she was much, much closer, uh, you know, until the day she died from with my oldest sister. And, mm-hmm. you know, now knowing that firstborn dynamic, I, I can understand that a little bit better. But um, anyway, so let's, let's dive into the book a little bit. And, and really, Thank I you. love – the the titles that you have selected. And I know that you've got stories behind each one. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to make them through all of them. But if, if you're listening to this show today, it's likely because you either are entering the empty nest or you're almost there, which happens to be the title of the first chapter.
1: Yeah, you know, and I can, you know, emphasize with your mother too, I think that Every family, the dynamics are different, you know, between mother and child or father and child. However, I I think that when all your kids leave, you just start. And, and again, it's not that you're not happy that they're moving on. We raise them to be independent people. We want them out eventually because it's good for them. It's good for society. It's what we're meant to do. However, I think there's so many emotions that all of sudden can trigger. And with the different women I interviewed, it was funny how, Each woman had a different trigger, and some of them didn't feel that way at all when their kids went to college or when they got got an apartment or whatever, but they would feel like I did in one of my chapters where I was sitting there making dinner one night, and I realized I didn't need to make that much food anymore. And it was funny how the house was quieter. I was, like, having my recipes, and I thought, this just doesn't seem right because with four kids, and then they have their friends over, you cook a lot of food quite often. And I remember thinking to myself, I just feel sad. I just feel sad. And you start reminiscing about all the little moments when they were young or when they were just whatever. And like you, we didn't have a lot of tension with our kids during the teen years. There wasn't any hating going on between parents and kids other than my daughter going through all her struggles. And even then, she wasn't hating on us. So it wasn't ever a lot of drama around here. But it was just an interesting thing that when each woman speaks, something triggers in them and sorrow and grief. And it's always interesting to me what it is that's
0: unique to each family. Right. So, you know, you already told us the the story of your daughter, and I'm suspecting that that uh, is woven into these next few chapters. The next one is is really accepting that parenting mistakes are done deals and and i'm I'm curious about this one because I'm curious about your perspective on whether anything that your daughter did was actually the result of a parenting mistake or, you know, because I, again, I was the rebellious child and I think my parents were pretty perfect parents, yeah. but I was uh-huh. going to be rebellious no matter what, because, you know, actually God made me that way. And, and, you know, I mean, certainly he didn't choose for me to do the things I did, but the same characteristics that make a rebellious child make an incredibly strong entrepreneur. So I, I can now, appreciate all those gifts that were given to me, but I'm sure my parents didn't appreciate them those nights, late nights when they didn't know where I was.
1: Well, I would agree. And, you know, I start out this chapter saying, make up the difference, make up the difference, make up the difference. And I I talk about how many times I whispered that to the Lord through the years. And I had heard that phrase many, many years ago by some other mom who was in dire straits over one of her kids. And I just was listening to her and she just said, I pray every day that the Lord makes up the difference and she was so earnest and so heartfelt and that phrase stuck with me because I don't know how many days you feel like you just don't have enough. Or and I'm an energetic person. I get I have a lot going on and I have my to do list and I work through it. But some of those parenting challenges come to you and your kid's heart is broken or they're struggling with something and you can't fix it. And I and there's this whole other part of parenting that, um I think we don't realize when our kids are young, because most people tell you, oh, when your kids turn 18, it's all over, you're done, <laughs> and then I I sat there, and I believed it for a while, and then um, I realized uh, little kids have little problems, and big people have big problems, and when your kids become big people, they have adult side problems, like they come to you, you know, I'm pregnant, um, I have a drug problem, I can't get a job, I don't know what to do with my life so-and-so just broke up with me or didn't show up at the altar or I'm getting a divorce or whatever, or I have a health crisis. I mean, the problems that my husband and I have, all of a sudden our kids are mirroring those in their life. And I I don't know where you take that other than give them the counsel that you can and the support that you can and pray for them because we aren't in control. We can't fix everything. And that was a whole other part of the parenting you know, dilemma for me too, as you let your kids go and they're not living at home, they come back to you with these adult-sized problems or with broken hearts, what to do with it? And that was another thing a lot of women said that they worried for their kids now that they weren't kind of checking in with them every day because their kids aren't going to call them every day and say, Mom, I have a problem. Or at least most kids aren't. But they knew they were heavy-hearted. And I think right. that's a whole other area of you know, the parents kind of have to step to the sidelines of, the kids lives and that's not always easy for some moms and dads.
0: No, no. And you know, as I said, if 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 we actually do have our daughter going halfway around the world uh to college, um you know, I mean, I think about that of of uh you know, I can't just drop everything and and be there in a couple of hours, you know, like I could if she were going to Palm Beach Atlantic where where she was going to go uh on the other sure. coast of Florida. Um, you know, and and in many ways the communication won't be all that different because we probably would have been talking via Skype or, you know, um, iChats or whatever. Uh, most of the time, but if anything ever is a crisis, then, you know, my ability to react and be there is, is really uh, significantly different. And, you know, it's funny, one of your chapters that jumped out at me is, you know, welcoming your children's future dates and mates. And my oldest daughter, who, uh, as I had mentioned uh, earlier uh, in our, our pre-dialogue, is actually, uh, she was our nanny for seven years. We we brought her here from Peru uh we put her through college we bought her her first two cars my husband walked her down the aisle we paid for her wedding so wow. yes she is my daughter right um but her first boyfriend uh that she had when when she was here in the states um was somebody i did not like at all um and I had a really hard time hiding that uh, because uh, he would come over for dinner and our kids were much younger then and like they would crawl on his lap and and he would say, go sit on your mother's lap. That's for family. And he didn't want to have children. And Uh she, of course, had made her life taking care of other people's children and um you know so there were just so many things and you know as as god's uh amazing plan unfolded they ended up breaking up after about a year and and she was only about six months away from having to go back to peru her she was going to be graduating from college and and her visa would have expired uh but she met this amazing guy uh, on match.com you know as as things turned out and you know four months later they were married and you know i mean i think that certainly would have happened even if she wasn't going to have to go back uh, to Peru. But, um, you know, it, it was so hard to keep my mouth closed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know what, I addressed that in the book in, in different ways because I've had friends of mine who who have gone through similar situations and one, one friend was very wise and she said to me, not to me personally, but we had a women's group one day and she looked at us this one gal was really struggling with who her son was dating, a gal, and she just, I just can't support this relationship, and she enumerated the reasons why, and it sounded real reasonable. I mean, this mom was a, a wonderful lady and very generous towards others, and so you knew there must have been something a little wrong for her to even react this way. But the other gal looked at her, and she said, you know what, you can either be right with your son, you know, right, like I'm going to be right, right, and prove to you that you're wrong in this relationship, or you can have a relationship with him. She said, what do you want? Do you want the relationship or do you want to be right? And Miguel looked there and she goes, I want the relationship. She said, then you're going to have to just shut your mouth
0: and pray. Right.
1: You know, really step out and just pray. And, and, and you know, and pray that your kid will get it, that they will see the concerns that you have. Um, it's not that you don't bring them to them. You do bring them to them after you've prayed and you're very careful about how you say what you need to say. And I also talked about in the book that, Some parents struggle with viewing their children as peers. Now, we are always our our parents to our children, yes. But when they're adults, that whole instruction thing kind of goes by the wayside then. And it's more about an advisory role when they ask. Right. If you wait until they ask, then they're a lot more open to taking your advice. But when there's emergency situations or they're really making poor choices and you feel compelled to step in, which you should as a parent, boy, I I have some different practical ways to do it carefully and gently and not going in like a bulldozer like moms want to do because they love their kids, right? But I talk about in the one chapter, if we go back to, you know, welcoming your children's future dates and mates, that a good beginning makes all the difference. And I actually got the the title of this chapter from listening to a radio show some months ago where two counselors slash doctors were talking about all the potential problems that you can have with your children's adult dates, and mates, and how to avoid them. And they said the number one step is to make sure that first beginning is a good one. Because if you blunder at the first meet and greet, you're going to have a very, very difficult time for that person to ever trust you or overcome right. all the negativity they felt. And I thought, wow, that's really wise. So mm-hmm. no matter what you think, but first make sure you're friendly. Make sure you're trying to find common ground because if your child does choose that person. You want to have influence in their life and you're not going to have it if their spouse doesn't like you.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, as I said, my daughter just broke up with her first her first love right uh 15 months uh it was is actually quite a long time uh in mm-hmm. high school to be dating somebody and um uh, you know the interesting thing i was out in salt lake city uh when he broke up with her and he broke up with her via skype uh you oh. know which is kind of how things go these days. And my husband, wow. you know, was sending me texts of, what do I do with this crying child, right? What do I do wow. with a, a, a crying 17-year-old? Well, he did what all good fathers do. He went out and bought her an iPhone 6. Oh, <laughs> well, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that will fix everything. Well, it turns out it, it kind of did. But, um, you know, I I said to him, you know, what she lost wasn't Troy, she lost the dream of marrying your high school sweetheart because he had the most wonderful parents. So she would have had the most wonderful in-laws and she would have had this great uh, sister-in-law. You know, the daughter Mm -hmm. is is actually 10 right now, but she looks up to Kira at 17. and, And I mean, it was such a wonderful family situation. We even changed churches to go to church with them. And, uh, you know, so so it was leaving all of that behind. And, you know, it's going to be so interesting to see where, where she ends up, especially if she goes abroad. And I'm going to forbid her to fall in love in Poland, right? Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> because I do not want to have children. I mean, my grandchildren right now are an hour north of here. And, and you've got a couple of chapters about the twist in the plot of, of becoming a grandparent. Uh, so I'd love to jump to that. But, you know, my grandkids today are just an hour away way and it's too far because you know we just it's too far to drive to see them on a regular basis and fortunately my my oldest daughter is now teaching at my kids um christian school so my my grandkids are going to school with my with my children so it's it's really terrific so tell me about uh your your grandparent's perspective here and and you also have a chapter about stepping in to parent your grandchildren in a crisis
1: Yes. yeah well, you know, I it was really interesting when my oldest daughter told me that she was pregnant and my, my oldest grandson will be four. No, he'll be five in December. Boy, it's time flies. I remember driving in the car with her, and we had had the whole day together, and we had a wonderful time. And she looked at me, and she told me she was pregnant, and I was so happy. I was so happy. I was floating on air for days. And then I wasn't happy. And I write this chapter just this way. I was really happy until I wasn't. And all of a sudden, what happened in my mind was I thought, can I do this again? Can I, I started re- reliving all the illnesses their kids had and all the worries oh. and the all-nighters and all the uncertainties and all their little heartbreaks and every hard thing that broke my heart as a mom. I thought, do I have the heart to do this again? Because I know I'm going to feel the same way about my grandchildren that I feel about my kids. And, oh, Lord, I don't know if I'm up to it yet. I mean, I'm just i of it. And it was so funny. I thought, I must be the only woman in the world who's ever felt this way. What a bad grandma I'm going to be. Well, I wasn't because I started talking to other women, which is always a great thing to do when you're struggling as a, a female. And I had all these friends who said, I felt the same way. I was like, am I ready for this? Am I up for this? Because you remember how intensive it was. And then the bigger my daughter got, you know, tell tummy got bigger and bigger and bigger. I got a half year and half year and half year. As soon as I faced those kind of weird fear things, I, I was able to just dismantle each one. And I thought, you know, God was faithful to give me everything I needed to parent my kids. Surely I will be a good support for my own children and my children. And now, having two grandchildren and another one coming in two weeks, I will tell you there's nothing better than being able to invest in new lives again. And right. people laugh and they say, Oh, that's because you send them home at night. And I'm thinking, Well, no, because sometimes they spend the night and sometimes we have them here for a couple of days. But it is like a real gift from God. It's like that extension of your child and another person. And it's a wonderful thing. So, but I, I was really, again, taken aback by my own response that I even had a question about, Wow, can I even be able to do this? Hmm. And I thought, You know, how often does fear stop us from relishing even wonderful news because we're afraid we won't be enough
0: or we're completely.
1: afraid, you know, we don't have enough energy or we don't have enough time or whatever. And I thought, boy, I, it was such a lesson for me to live one day at a time and trust the Lord and watch things unfold. And they do, and they usually unfold in a really beautiful way.
0: Well, that's amazing, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to remember that one. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit here. Uh, You've you got a, another chapter about midway through the book called Letting Adult Children Become Fiscally Responsible, and, and I think a lot about this one because – uh, when we moved to Florida uh, almost 15 years ago, uh, you know we were just so incredibly blessed. I, I had a, a multi-million dollar consulting contract, and and so we bought you know a beautiful home on on a marina with a boat dock and. And so we have lived in this gorgeous house for 15 years, and it's a gated community. And you know, I, I heard my children say, "Well, you know, I'm you know, I'm not ever living in in a place that is a gated community." And and you know, it's just amazing to hear the words that come out of their mouths. And I think, wait until you see what life has for you, because I never grew up in that. Right? I never had anything. My dad was a minister, and my mom was a teacher, and. Uh, you know, the only time we lived in a really nice house was because it, the church provided it, right? It was the the manse, mm-hmm. is what they called it in the Presbyterian church, and and so you know, I think about how my kids will do. So, what did you do? <laughs> What's the story <laughs> behind this one?
1: Well, I was I really, my, my husband is all about no debt, so we don't ever have any debt, which I would have also. I don't know. He he's a good saver. He's a teacher. He's a math teacher, by the way. So right. he's really good with numbers and money. But we live on one income all these years because I'm a writer. But writers don't make much. It's more of a you do it because you love it kind of thing. And I, I, our perspective on money was different than a lot of our friends who went into a lot of debt to buy big, beautiful, huge homes, really that they could not afford, and then right. ended up losing later on. But we ended we bought my my husband's grandparents saw an old farmhouse, 14 acres near Lake Erie. Love it. We've never moved. We've been here 26 years. It's wonderful. Um, but I will tell you, even we, we're just middle class people, but the younger generation, like your kids, view money so differently until they get out on their own because we had budgets, we were frugal, and we had everything we wanted. We were fine, but we had a budget. And our kids learned how to handle money from early on. However, they get into high school and they start, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And I just kind of look at them and thinking, okay, don't say much. I'm thinking because real life hits you a lot of times in the pocketbook because you just don't realize how much things are going to cost. But the focus I had in this chapter was from a gal that was in one of my small groups and she was talking about her kids. And her and her husband, have two boys in their 30s, they continue to pay for almost all their bills. And these boys don't live in their home. They pay their bills when boys own own home because they just don't have jobs that are viable. Oh, my goodness. And it's not that they can't work. It's that they don't really feel like working kind of thing. And I challenged her one day, and I said, "How? why do you guys keep doing this? You know, because she's fretting about it. You know, my husband and I never handled money well. <clears throat> Excuse me, when they were growing up. I don't think I've ever taught them how to handle money. And I said, "Well, now would be a good time, maybe right. to help them." And she, you know, she's just a dear person, but she had a block there, and she's like, "Yeah, I know you're right, there's so much easier said than done, and we are just not equipped." And we really talked about this, but and then I had other people weighing in on the, that subject, and. It seems a lot more common than what I'm aware of. So I don't know what's going on in our current younger generation. I do think that they feel entitled to things, and they toss that r- word around a lot, but I think it's accurate. I don't think I don't think it's because they're not willing to work hard,
0: but I think they think things should come fast, really right. fast,
1: because they've grown up in a fast America. Where <clears throat> well, they have, everything. and, you know, in our
0: home, um, I mean – we, we've we had a lot of challenges because I'm an entrepreneur and we've, we've made it and we've lost it. And, you know, we're, we're hopefully on an up cycle right now, but um, you know, the kids went to private grade school and then, you know, my, my daughter had to go to public uh, middle school and we were finally able to put them back in Christian school, um, you know, a few years ago. And, mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they live in this world where, like, the minute you get your driver's license, you get a car. And I'm like, uh, no. Yeah. And they'd say, well, you know, you bought Patty a car and you bought Fidelia a car. And, you know, how come I don't have a car? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you know, you really need to work for it. and But at the same time, we didn't allow them to get jobs because they're both in sports and we were – you know, we were part of that group who was hoping that you know our kids would get a sports scholarship. I think there's a great chance for my son. He's he's this tiny little freshman. We adopted him when he was three from Russia, and he is uh, he's a freshman, but he's uh, a starter on the on the football team. Uh-huh. So you know, I think there's a good chance you know by his senior year, either in tennis or football, that he's going to get something.
1: <laughs> but mm-hmm. but at the
0: same time, you know, I, I know uh, my husband uh, felt very, very strongly about not buying cars for the kids. And so I share a car with my daughter and, and, you know, that's worked out fairly well, but, and we've always been honest with the kids about money. We've told them how much car insurance costs. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when my daughter's lobbying for, you know, please get me a car. Well, actually now that she's going to Poland for college, we don't have to buy her a car for college. (laughs) So, you know, there, there is a mercy and all of that. But, um, you know, the one thing you talk about not being in debt, uh, Years ago, I taught Dave Ramsey's um, course on um, Financial Peace University, and my daughter actually went through it. And Mm -hmm. you know, I think it would be good now to have my son go through it. Just uh, although he, my son saves every penny that comes through his fingers, and my daughter spends every penny. So yeah, isn't that funny? It is way too much like me. you know there are a couple of other chapters I'd like to touch on, and you know we're we're uh, bumping up against five o'clock, and I didn't ask you, uh, you know, if you had a hard stop at five, so I'm going to ask you that right now, uh, and and then we can just we can wrap up. There are a couple of other things I'd like to talk about. Sure,
1: I've got enough time here, so okay, whatever you Okay, perfect. Need to ask well then, fine.
0: we'll just we'll just uh, touch on a couple of uh, these other topics because I think they're really important. Um, And I'm going to kind of bundle a couple of these together and and let you just pull out the stories that you uh, feel you need to share. Um, One of them is supporting your adult children through crisis, giving counsel when they want to give up. And then uh, I'm jumping one, but uh, allowing adult children to move back home. And I kind of suspect that those are all tied together somehow.
1: (laughs) They, you know what they really can be. And the story I use in, in the book um, about supporting your adult children, you know, through a crisis, actually was my oldest daughter when she miscarried, and then she miscarried a second time. And I remember thinking, I never miscarried. I don't know what she's going through. I'm really quick to help her. I don't have the right words. I don't have this. I don't have that. That, but you know what? You just love the people and you embrace them and pray for them. And you know, just knowing that you care is generally enough. However, there are crises. That are so huge let's say bankruptcy or something or if your kid is addicted to drugs which I'm counseling with a lot more women who have children that are addicted to heroin and their whole life is hellish and they're doing everything right I mean it's just a a terrible thing that's going across our United States right now and um, you know it's just one of those things that again you go back to the, the fact is I'm not in control of what my kids do I love them. I've tried to teach them to make wise, critically, you know, think, being a critical thinker, making good decisions, understanding cause and effect, you know, and we'll, we'll help you, but we can't fix everything. And even when our daughter was in all that trouble, she ended up owing the state of Michigan $5,000. If you drive drunk in Michigan and you get pulled over, you end up paying a big fee. And we applauded that because she paid for every penny and she had to work and work and work and work for a long time to pay off. That, that debt but you know that was the making of her too because she finally got it that oh if I do something illegal I have to pay a price right. and I think the same thing with kids in a crisis whether it's of their own doing or not you know moms and dads just want to be there I mean I remember when I was a young mom and feeling undone and tired and just talking to one of my parents helped. and I think that's do think parents don't realize it's just a conversation can make things a whole lot easier for your kids to handle. You know, being a good listener, and I don't know how many of us are really good listeners because when we hear someone else talk, we're always waiting to jump in with, you know, an answer or with a suggestion and yet this in these crisis situations, sometimes our kids just need to unburden themselves right. and really, if we are patient enough to keep our mouth shut we might find out a whole lot more about our kids than we expected or even knew what's going on inside of them. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The, the example in my book that I give about kids moving back home, you know, there's good reasons for your kids to move back home and then there's there's not good reasons. And, again, you, you have to weigh that out with your your you know spouse or if you're a single parent. Really get some good counsel from your friends, your peers, or your older family members. Before you just automatically say, "Oh yeah, sure, you can move back in," because there's been a number of women who've come to me and really regretted letting their adult children move back in. Now, if my kid was in a crisis, absolutely, they're welcome to come back for any amount of time. But if they're just somebody who really don't want to work, or I'm not sure what I'm going to do, and they're like 33, you know, that I'm <laughs> not helping them.
0: Right. I'm not
1: helping them by you know giving them you know food and clothing and a place to lay their head every night and not have an expectation of them so there's a lot of dynamics that go on there and you know every parent is a different situation but you have to think long term am I helping my kids long term or am I you know handicapping them so right. I think you know again count, get counsel from your friends too because you don't you have blind spots when it comes to your own children and I have a few good friends that I can call on the spur of the moment and say, okay, this is what's happening. What should I do? And they'll tell me, hey, don't do that. And are you crazy even thinking about that? And I laugh say, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I was kind of crazy. But, you know, we, we should be in community with other people that are like minded. So we get support from them. And I think that's one of the best things parents can do when they're wrestling with these
0: tough issues. Right. Well, I want to touch on uh, one other thing that we, we jumped over, and and I think it's a really important part of this whole empty nest thing, and it, it's probably enough for a, another whole hour, and that is what your relationship with your husband, if you're married, right, ends up being mm-hmm. uh, after you are an empty nester. And then for those perhaps who don't have a spouse, um, you know, that that whole reinventing your life goals and, you know, what do you do now? Not just in, you know, there's no more noise in my house, but but how does my life change? And Mm -hmm. I suspect that this whole thing of the kids moving back in, if you have readdressed your relationship and rekindled, you know, perhaps some of the romance that went by the wayside years ago when you both got so busy with, you know, the kids' lives and everything – um, that all of a sudden, kids moving back home might might have a whole different dynamic. So, can sure. you just briefly talk about the relationship uh, aspect? Sure. You know, I, some years
1: ago, I was listening to my husband's cousin talk about the fact that their two sons were going to be moving out soon. They were very close in age, and she looked at her husband while she was talking to me, and she said, "I told him the other day we need to really work on us because." before long if just going to be him and me and she didn't say it in a negative way or a snarky way she right. said it in a way that she didn't thought to it and then they started making plans together because i said well what are you guys going to do and you know we and then she had some specific things they were going to do together travel together they were going to buy certain things they were going to fish together and i thought she was so wise because you're right children take up so much of our energy and our time and communication often can suffer between the spouses because you're exhausted. And you're, you know, both might be working, you come home, you deal with the kids. Most people just want to go to bed. And, you know, maybe right. you're not addressing the, all the important things that you need to be addressing with your spouse. Well, it's perfect time to really look at the future and say, hey, we're almost there. What can we do that we've never done before? Or what do we need to re-spark that we kind of let go you know, and really be creative. And I, I just, you know, tell people, sit down, go out to dinner, and take out a piece of paper and a pen, and dream together on paper. You know, some like right. things will never happen, but some things will. And just get, you know, get it going in your mind that, hey, yeah, there's possibilities to serve together. Maybe you've never done it. Maybe uh, start a business like you do so well, or volunteer together. But there's just there's more flexibility than there's ever been before. Talk about it, and that's the first place to start. But think positively that the future can be better than the past is done. Even right. if you've had a troubled marriage, oftentimes when the kids leave, some of those stressors leave with them. They really do, and you have more energy to deal with your marital relationships than you did when you had four or five kids running around
0: demanding every bit of emotional energy you had. Right. Well, there are so many other topics that uh, you know. I, I wish we had time to talk about. Um, you, you talk about tough love. You talk about being hopeful. You talk about uh, praying for something that you can't even talk about, and, and asking for forgiveness. Uh, learning from your kids with grace. Um, where where I'd like to close the show is is uh, the very very last chapter and. You know, I will tell you that that my entire life, uh, while my parents were living, and they they've been gone now for almost fifteen years, um, but my life with them was uh, characterized by the word unconditional love. And mm-hmm. chapter number thirty in your book is loving them unconditionally. So, mm-hmm. why don't why don't we end the show with you talking about unconditional love? Yeah, uh,
1: I this this chapter was close to my heart because I was sitting with a woman who was really distraught, and she said to me, I don't like my son. In fact, I haven't liked him for years, but I still love him. So the conversation unfolded, and it ended up being she could not support the decisions her adult son was making with his wife. Uh, from, from A to Z, it seemed he was making poor choices, and she, she didn't like the way he talked to her or to her husband or to his siblings. She didn't like his attitude about work, She didn't like how he took care of himself or that he was neglectful in any variety of areas. And she looked at me and she said, I don't like him. I don't like him. And she said, I know. I sound like I'm a bad mother. And I said, well, maybe not. You love him. You're doing all the right steps. You're overcoming evil with good. And and I talk a lot about that verse in this chapter because we're commanded to overcome evil with good. So we sat there and we did some brainstorming and how can you show unconditional love to your son, even though you may not, quote, well, like him right now. Because you know what? Six months from now, you may like him as well as love him. But you're never going to get back to the liking if you don't love him. Right. Because he's not mature enough, obviously, to take those steps, you know, to mend the relationship, to be responsible. It's on you. But you have to have right boundaries, you know. And so we sat down and we talked about different things. And at the end of the conversation, she had a better handle on, hey, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. To show I love him without him taking advantage of us, being, you know, disrespectful to us, you know, and then the list went on, and she felt some hope. And I thought, you know, we have to be honest. We don't like our kids all the time. They don't like us all the time. I mean, <laughs> right. When you have three girls that have PMS all at the same time, those girls sort of didn't like each other, you know, for that week <laughs> or month. I mean, it was kind of, <clears throat> kind of dicey. But, you know, you get through it, and that's why relationships can last over the long haul is when you love someone unconditionally, you forgive them, they forgive you, and you keep plodding on. And uh, so that's what I'd like, to, you know, listeners to know is you don't even have to like your kids all the time, but you can love them. Right. And the greater call is to love, you know, those around us. Right.
0: Well, Michelle, thank you so much, first of all, for your flexibility in moving the the call back a little bit to accommodate my schedule today. And uh, the book we have been talking about is Empty Nest, What's Next? Parenting Adult Children Without Losing Your Mind. The publication date is actually 10 days from today, September 28th. Mm-hmm. and uh, it is available uh, to order on amazon.com. Michelle, how can they get in touch with you if if they would like to pose questions or find out about your other books?
1: Well, I'm very active on Facebook, so if you go to Michelle Howe, Michelle with one L, you'll find me, and I respond to people, and I'm active there. I also have a blog that I always talk with people on, and my email address is there, and I do Twitter. I'm on oh, fabulous. everything. So, yeah, I'm... I'm really enjoy you know dialoguing with people
0: well terrific and, and michelle it's just been really really great um you know i i have this coming up in in my next few years in my life and and at an interesting season when you know hopefully i'll be winding things down uh not quite ready to retire but but close uh and uh so i'm going to make sure to keep a copy of this uh wh- where i can find it <laughs>
1: Oh, so uh, again you.
0: our our guest today was Michelle Howe. If you would like to know more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com or check out our Facebook group where we post information every week uh about the various shows that we have. So uh Michelle, I I just uh am honored that you took your time out on a Friday and hope you have done an amazing weekend.
1: Well, you too. It's always nice talking to you. And um, thank you to all your listeners, too, for taking the time out of
0: their Friday. Thank you. All right. Terrific. Thanks so much, Michelle, and God bless. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty.